Emergency, the exits are here, 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 anywhere. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. We name is Hades, Lord of the Dead. Hi, how you doing? We dance, we kiss, we schmooze, we carry on, we go home happy. What do you say? Come on. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Disney Guys Uncensored. This is episode 156, recorded on Tuesday, October 11th, 2022. We are your host, Guy, Tim, and Bob. On tonight's episode, we bring you a brand new concept we're calling Nine Reasons, and in our first installment, we're taking a look at the world-famous Jungle Cruise. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, the amazing, the colossal, the stupendous, the eighth wonder of the world... The backside of water! And over to Tim with the news. Yep, uh, thanks for that, guy. First time in a while, we've had uh, some pretty big Disney news to share with you guys. Uh, breaking at the time of recording on a, tonight here on October 11th, uh, Disney just sent out a press release to media outlets outlining some pretty big changes in the upcoming Marvel film schedule, not TV. This was part of that timeline that was just announced this summer at uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, Blade has moved back from uh, November 3rd, 2023, all the way to September 6th, 2024. This should not come as a big surprise to anyone paying attention to the drama going on with the Blade movie. Uh, they were set to begin filming, I believe, next month and in the stead, they have now lost not only their head writers, but also their director with no replacements on the horizon for either of those people. That movie really seems like it's in a lot of trouble right now. So the, this big of a pushback uh, isn't surprising. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw another pushback uh, as they struggle to fill those crucial roles. Uh, Deadpool moves from September 6th 2024 to uh, November 8th, 2024. Uh, obvious reasons because uh, now Blade is releasing on the date that Deadpool was supposed to be releasing. Uh, this is just interesting because we have that big Deadpool teaser just two weeks ago. Uh, Fantastic Four moves from November 8th, 2024 to February 14th. 25 little fantastic for valentine's day action as you can see these are all just kind of a domino effect with those marvel release dates caused by this major major blade move back uh avengers secret wars moves from uh november 7th of 25 to may 1st of 2026 and the may 1st 2026 untitled project has been removed from the slate for now uh don't worry folks i am sure we will get a, a new marvel movie uh at the end of the the announced slate don't you worry disney is definitely going to keep pumping these cash cows out now on to the big news story of the week 
Uh, I know we probably mentioned this in passing when Disney announced, I think it was on an investor's call, that they were exploring uh, this as an option for Genie Plus, but it has now come to pass. Genie Plus surge pricing, as they call it, is here. Uh, what those changes look like at, at Walt Disney World, uh, it's going to range from $15 a day to $22 a day per person. Previously, it was $15 across the board. Uh, at Disneyland, it's a little bit more confusing. It can still be purchased in advance. Disney took this ability away at Walt Disney World a number of months ago, obviously in preparation for this new system. Uh, but at Disneyland, you can still purchase it in advance, but it has increased from $20 a day per person to $25 a day per person. If it is purchased on the day of your visit, though, the price will vary in the same manner as Walt Disney World. Uh, but again, $20 is the floor now, whereas that was the price straight up previously. Uh, Magic Key holders can only purchase the day of. Uh, they are not eligible to purchase events, but they do get 20% off whatever the day price is. And Magic Key is the name of uh, the annual pass program now out there on the West Coast. Uh, individual Lightning Lanes will also see an increase in price uh, and expect more variance than in the past. This was the more variance part was not confirmed, but it is being reported by reliable sources within the theme park reporting community. So I trust that. Uh, and, and we saw those increases hit fast and hard. Uh, Rise of Resistance was $25 per person today on both coasts, the highest it has ever been. Now, individual lightning lanes did have variants based on, I don't know, an algorithm, some factor, what Disney arbitrarily decided to set it um, that day for the various rides. But that variant was really a, a band of about $4, $2 on either side of a median uh, but now it looks like we're going to see kind of prices all over the place for those individual lightning lanes. Um, and I just got to say, this is a lot. Um, Disney has really continued this really dangerous pattern that I've spoken of on the podcast a couple times where you, they can't keep making Disney both more expensive and more difficult for the average consumer to visit. It just really makes it less and less appealing um, to consumers. I mean, if, if you want to add premium add-ons, if you want to do uh, Genie Plus in the same vein as um, Express Pass and Express Pass uh, Premium over at uh, um Universal Studios, and, and and it becomes this premium edition for people who are willing to trade a, a not insignificant amount of money for the ability to, to skip the line, then that's one thing. Uh, but that makes people's vacations significantly more expensive, but significantly easier. Genie Plus just adds an incredible amount of complexity to the average person and the advanced Disney Traveler's vacation planning while also making it more expensive. And now that the pricing is completely arbitrary and literally changes daily, you've added even more unpredictability and even more complexity. And I just don't see what the benefit of this change is for anyone except for the board, the executives, and the stockholders of the Walt Disney Company. 
And I I really hope that Disney has some heavy, heavy, good market research firms out there who are doing exit surveys, who are doing follow-ups, who are doing more than the little email survey that everybody gets after their visit, that they are they are paying focus groups to give good feedback and big data sets on this sort of thing so that when this all starts going wrong, because it will, because as people who run a Disney podcast, you know, we're the ones who get questions from friends, from listeners, from, you know, people at work who know that we, we're, we're Disney people when they're playing a trip. And nine times out of 10, they, they're aware this Genie Plus thing exists. They're aware that they probably need it for their vacation, but they have no idea how it works, no idea what they're supposed to do, not really any idea of um, how to plan. And, and this is only going to make things that much worse. On top of that, today we also saw um, increase is in ticket prices at Disneyland, um, ranging from about 11% increase up to uh, down to about a 9% increase. But across the board, increases on all classes of tickets from day tickets up to, you know, 10-day park hoppers at Disneyland. I'm sure we'll see them for Walt Disney World once the booking windows get opened up out. And then at both parks, we also saw uh, food and merch, slight, very slight food and merchandise price increases across the board at um, a variety of quick service and table service restaurants, as well as some popular merchandise items. Way too many to go through, but those seem to be, you know, ranging from 50 cents to $1.50, depending on what they were. But, you know, we, we are seeing Disney continue to get more expensive, which, you know, happens all every year. That's that's not really a big deal. But this variable pricing that is only an increase, but a confusing increase um, on Genie Plus, I think, is really a, a huge step in the wrong direction. Uh, Guy, uh, Bob, do you do either of you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, so, Tim, you really covered everything really well. Um, but I do just want to chime in kind of like this is kind of what Disney does worse um, when they have something that's broken. Instead of trying to fix it, they just double down. Uh, one of the biggest problems with Genie Plus is too many people are buying it. Um, so, A, you can't get the rides you want. And B, when you do sometimes, you can go into a fast pass lane and have a 20 minute wait, which kind of kills the whole purpose of it. Um, I think if they switch to more of a universal model, I think they'd have a lot more success. Um, I mean, these are kind of all unofficial numbers, but they're all kind of like generally accepted as there's about 20,000 people every day who buy Genie Plus for Magic Kingdom. So if you extrapolate the numbers, um, Jesus, I thought I'd be able to do this in my head. Um, but I, when I did do it earlier, what it basically boiled down to is if you sold 2,500 Genie Pluses at $120 a piece, it would equal the 300 grand that they basically generate a day through Genie Plus. If you made it more exclusive, maybe make it a buck 25, a buck 30, you give them a pin to go with it, you know what I mean? A little commemorative thing. And you just make it, hey, if you buy the Genie Plus, you'll get a fast pass, one fast pass to every ride. And then that way, the person who goes all the time, who's a Disney freak, who will want it for the clout, who will want it for, you know, posting on TikTok, they'll buy it. And then the family who goes to Disney once every five years, they'll buy it also because they'll want to be able to go and do it every single ride. 
you know, it won't be guaranteed, obviously, that you'll get through everything, but you'll be able to ride every single ride just in a fast pass. Um, and then open up the three fast passes to everybody else, kind of the way the system is now. You know, if you want, if you want a really popular ride, you know, if you want Space Mountain at 7 a.m. when you go to get Space Mountain, you might not get Space Mountain until 6.30 and you have to deal with it. And then you have to wait until 6.30 before you can book another Fast Pass. Uh, but give give a little bit to people and then take from the people who are willing to spend the extra money. Um, I don't know. It's, no, just, I mean, I, it's I, a really broken system and then they need to do something about it. And I think doubling down is just a real mistake here, but it's classic Disney. Yeah, I mean, you 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 hit it in the head. Um, as for there's no official numbers. Ch- Bob Chapek himself on um, not the most recent earnings call, but the one before that said uh, between one half and two thirds of all guests at uh, Walt Disney World purchase Genie Plus every day, and their initial expectation was that uh, less than a quarter of guests would buy it every day. So uh, this this doubling down on a system that they've adjusted the expectation of guests officially from. Uh, no limit on how many uh, lightning lanes a guest could expect to get with their GD Plus purchase to three to now, I believe the website says two to three a day. So you could be paying in October $22 to get two rides that you need to be up at 7 a.m. and have fast fingers and great internet and all that to even get the ones you want. Or you could end up with, uh, you know, uh, uh, magic carpets of Aladdin at five o'clock at night. I mean, that's not realistic, but you could end up with uh, a magic carpet of Aladdin earlier in the day. And then a ride that you only sort of care about, like a, a big thunder or a, um, pirates in, later in the day. In June, it was slim pickings. You'd be lucky. I mean, honestly, you'd be, you'd have to book like it's a small world for two and a half hours in advance. Like there was nothing. And that's the thing with the Disney that's really bothering me about this. And I won't go on a rant here too much, but it's just like if someone's willing to pay $15, you know they'll pay $22. You're not getting less people this way. It's just a way to get more money. You know, if they sell 20000 more at 7 bucks, you know, that's an extra hundred and forty grand a day. Yeah, yeah it's, it, 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 it's really raw profiteering. Bob, you have any thoughts on this hot topic? Well, there's a lot of Steiner math going on tonight, I see, and I'm happy about that. I really am, because if there's nothing else I enjoy more than the Booker T calling Hulk Hogan a word that we can't say on the air, it is the Scott (laughs) Steiner math, and it is fantastic. Um, Here's the thing. I dream of a place where it is 80 bucks a day for me to get on. Oh, that's Six Flags. Six Flags has an unbroken system. Six Flags, you pay 80 bucks a day or up to 120 Again, they do use surge pricing as well. And I will be the first person. Tim will be the first person. Guy, We will sit here and tell you Disney this, Disney that. Every bit of travel and leisure works in this way. Disney is not the originator of surge pricing for something like this. I think what I would prefer at this point is a really high-end pay-per-ride. And I'm not saying pay-per-ride everything, but if you want to get on Guardians Cosmic Rewind, 
it is $25 a person in your party. And you can get three of those a day, not for the same ride. And then it's, there's none of this, well, this is Genie Plus 2.0, where if I spend 30, like you said, Tim, I might get a, I might get an e-ticket. I might. I'm probably going to get a D and a B at, just based on law of averages and how many people are using it. So if you took away the mass of Genie Plus and just had an individual lightning lane for that high-end consumer that Guy was talking about, I think, and again, these queues, we've talked about queue space in a lot of these attractions. Some of the older attractions don't have it. The newer attractions are built to hold lines that are two hours long. But if you take away three different lines of people in a queue, you do not have two-hour wait times. I stand by it. No one has shown me the math on FastPass, FastPass Plus, and Genie Plus telling me that for every 10 Genie Plus, I let one standby person in or whatever the ratio is. And we need someone smarter than me with better computer with better computing technology to figure that out. But if you eliminated two thirds of those lines and just had a boom and a boom done, I'm in again. What I'm saying is unrealistic. I understand. I I don't know. I don't know how unrealistic it is though, Bob, because you know, Tokyo Disney resort is, uh, has had basically park pass reservations for over a decade. Now they sell a limited number of tickets every day. The tickets have to be sold in advance and the only ones sold day of are, are are the leftovers. And they still have the old school paper fast pass machines that are first come, first serve. You pull a ticket, you get a return time, and there's also a time where you can pull your next fast pass on, on the bottom. And there's been no talks by the Oriental Land Company about going to a Genie Plus, going to a Fast Pass Plus, going to individual lightning lanes. And, and guess what? That system works. That park is at or near capacity every single day, whatever that capacity set for that day is. And, and that system still works better than FastPass Plus ever worked here uh, in, in Walt Disney World and uh, better than uh, whatever the paid system was that Genie Plus replaced uh, ex- uh, over on the West Coast. Uh, yeah, I, I just... This is this is doubling and tripling down on already a bad system, and there, there's other ways they could extract a very similar profit figure, as Guy said, and make this more palatable to the average guest and keep the whales even happier than they are now with this current system. Well, uh, make no mistake, people would pay for the Lightning Lane privilege. People would absolutely pay for that. It, it, we've that model is proven because, like guys said, if they're spending fifteen, they're going to spend twenty. If they're spending twenty, they're going to spend thirty. So, it, it, listen. Here's the thing: you're going to get your money somehow. It, it just why squeeze everyone when you can squeeze the people that want to be squeezed? That's all I'm saying. No, and 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 that's what I say. There, there, there's going to be repercussions for this eventually. And Disney right now is kind of in a in a, a haze of people still making up trips that were canceled in the past two and a half years of people with pent up demand for these parks. But we're headed into a global recession. Even if somehow the U.S. dodges that bullet, Europe is already in a recession that's going to be far worse than any recession 
that we're seeing here. Japan is already in a recession. China is already in a recession. So we're not going to see international tourists flying in to Walt Disney World and, and Disneyland. So something's going to give on this eventually. You can't keep making it more expensive and harder to do, especially as we head into an economic downturn for the first time in over a decade. Uh, and, you know, I, I, you know, I don't have much more to say about this. I, this is getting a little bit more negative than uh, I wanted to, uh, but I, I just think this is a, a unjustifiable Ooh. decision by them. To be fair, and I don't think this is overly negative. It might be critical, and I think we're making valid points about the system. I don't think we're – we could have been much worse. If you put Drew on this topic, we fight him because he's telling <laughs> us how great of a system it is because he's a shareholder. So at the end of the day, Tim, you're absolutely right. We've got bigger fish to fry, I suppose, tonight. Right, I'm sorry. Did, did you say Drew? Yeah. I, I believe he – he goes by Drucula now that it's yeah, spooky listen, season. I don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, yeah, and I'm the creature from the Bub Lagoon. Okay, come on. What what are we doing here? <laughs> All right. What are we doing? Little preview right. of the, the kind of quality Halloween content that might be coming up this yeah, very from, October, from, folks. From, from what? From from the Nintendo Dads podcast? The Dads no, I mean, Drew, Drew might gonna... come on and spookily read a financial report because, um, you know, uh, the people haven't been subject to that for almost a year now. He would do it voluntarily. That's all he wants. Yes. A haunted financial report, folks. All right, guys. Uh, last but certainly not least, a little bit of sad news, but but she lived a good life. Uh, Disney legend Angela Lansbury did pass away before we started recording tonight. Uh, she, of course, was in Bedknobs and Broomsticks, Beauty and the Beast, and uh, Mary Poppins Returns, a, a more recent. I mean, she, she was acting yeah. pretty much right up the end at 96 oh. years old. Yeah. And then, obviously, her probably best-known role for at least people our age and older, um, she she was, of course, on Murder, She Wrote for many, many, many years. So if you ever, you know, had your grandmother pick you up after school and the TV was on when you got back to her house with the antenna, you, Murder, She Wrote was probably what was on and what would come in af after yeah, school. I spent many a nights watching CBS and Jessica Fletcher. What a show. Murder, She Wrote, one of the all-time great television programs uh, of my childhood anyway, and certainly, like Tim said, a lot of uh, people our age and, and older, certainly, I, I think, Angela Lansbury, uh, one of the best, one of the best. I mean, even a few years ago, she sung uh, the, you know, the big, big song from Beauty and the Beast, and she crushed it. Yeah. And I think she was 92, 93 at the time, like yeah. amazing, a great talent. Yeah, w w one in a million she was, certainly, for sure. All right. Well, that is it for the news. Um, a lot more news this week than in the past few. That's for sure. Well, Tim, lots of news, but lots of fun coming the listener's way, because as I was strolling the mean streets of the fifth safest city in the country, that's a shout out to the city of Warwick. I was, in fact, thinking of a concept when we had discussed about doing the Jungle Cruise. I said, how can we make this something that isn't just us reading from a textbook, Tim. This is something that me and you have talked about a lot. Um, when we when we came back, we had said we, we don't want to do book report episodes. So how do we take an episode like The Jungle Cruise and make it something that we haven't done before? Because we've covered a lot of aspects of The Jungle Cruise. We've covered the queue a couple of times. We, we covered it in depth with Andrew Keist way back in the original, like, 18 episodes. Um, way, way back uh, three years ago. Um, so... It's something I think 
that we all love. I think we all love the ride, but how could we attack it in a way that made it entertaining for us and for the listener? And then I'm thinking nine reasons because there's three. We each give three because it's impossible for us to do ten each. We'd be here for four hours. So how do we get to that number ten without getting to ten? So then it became nine reasons. And then it became, well, I don't want it to be the top nine things we like about about the Jungle Cruise. Maybe it should be good, bad, or indifferent. I'm sure there are things about the Jungle Cruise that we, we don't love or we don't necessarily think are great. I think there are things we're indifferent about, and I think there are things we do love about it. So I said to you guys, hey, we'll do, you know, nine nine reasons you know, whatever, nine, nine, top, top nine reasons why is going to be, and then it's going to be blank. So we'll try this concept tonight, see how it goes. Kind of like a top 10, but not really. Um, so, Guy, let, let, let's lead us off here. What's one of the things for you about the Jungle Cruise that you love, dislike, indifferent about? Uh, so one of the things I loved, um, kind of that they, I don't want to say they did wrong on Splash Mountain, Um but, like, one of the things they definitely did right with this ride, and, you know, Trader Sam was a beloved character, but at the end of the day, Trader Sam was, at best, insensitive, and at worst, you know, kind of a racist caricature. And, you know, I talk about it all the time, it feels like, about going to Disney with my son, who has autism. And when I go to Disney with him, he is treated, and he feels, and, like, everyone else and he just feels accepted and kind of loved there um and so when it comes to things like that at disney even though i could kind of overlook trader sam and be like oh well it doesn't affect me i don't really see what the big deal is if one person goes on that ride and is like oh man like this just you know this is what they think of me this kind of ruined my day I don't want it there, honestly. Uh, so I always liked how they did that. They just literally one day they're like, hey, Trader Sam's coming out. We know how much everyone likes them. Uh, but there's enough people that don't like them that we're just we're ready to kind of get rid of them. And I think if they had just handled Splash Mountain that way, too, I don't think it would have been such a big deal. Like if you're going to announce that you're changing Splash Mountain, the theming, you shut the ride down and you start making the changes. You don't have this five-year hiatus, and I understand removing one animatronic is not quite the the the, the spectacle that retheming an entire ride is, uh, but I just feel like, you know, Disney really mishandled uh, Splash Mountain and its switch over to Tiana's, um, and I just think they handled this really well, and this should be more of a model of how they do things going forward. Not to mention, it would be excused to realize that at this point, the Splash Mountain rehaul overhaul has taken the same amount of time as Tron, and they haven't even broken ground on it yet. So, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, not not to mention Trader Sam, um, the character, still kind of lives on in the two incredibly popular bars at the Polynesian and the Disneyland Resort. But because the racist caricature version of Trader Sam is not represented in either of those places and never has been, mm-hmm. you could just assume he's Trader Sam in the tiki tradition of Trader Vic Bergeron and the, those early tiki uh, you know, bar owner entrepreneur types who went by the name Trader so-and-so, not that he was literally this racist caricature of a um, you know guy in a jungle. And... Disney didn't just, unlike what they've been doing lately, take him over in place with nothing. 
Um, his his shop has been replaced with adorable uh, chimpanzee yeah. salesman animatronics, which are, I think, much more endearing than the weird old racist animatronic ever was. Exactly. That's <laughs> a great point, Tim. So this is akin to what they did with Red in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Admittedly, is what they did. They repurposed Red to be a pirate, which didn't offend me in the least. I whatever. You don't want a whore in your in you don't want a whore or a wench in your your ride, then that's okay. That I'm all for making a little better place. To me, guy, yeah, I never even really put Trader Sam into the conversation today because it's just like yeah, right. They didn't want Trader Sam there. It was perfectly fine with me. I, I so I completely agree with what you're saying. The just the fact they said, "Hey, Dunsky, pull them out, and that's it." But you're right. They wouldn't have been able to do that with Splash Mountain. It, it, it just unless they had kept it secret for four years, apparently, and then <laughs> did it. But yeah, apparently they were. They, it was something they were working on for years. So who knows? But so so Tim, what do you have? Something good, bad, indifferent about Jungle Cruise? I'm going to start with my indifferent because I think that's the hardest one. And I don't want to say this. Um, it went kind of in a weird place at this. But um, the Jungle Cruise movie with The Rock <laughs> um, apparently was one of the most expensive movies ever made. And it, it, I'll admit, it does look great. It, it's not like some of these newer Marvel movies where the entire thing looks like an animated movie that people have been superimposed into. But. Other than the fact that they shoehorned in some of the like jokes that the skippers have to hit every time, it was probably the most forgettable big budget blockbuster movie I've ever seen. I, I enjoyed it while it was uh you know while I was watching it, but I cannot tell you a single detail of it other than the rock was the skipper on a jungle cruise style boat, and that backside of water got said at some point in that movie. Uh, and, and that's crazy because The Rock is, you know, the highest paid man in Hollywood. And for a reason, he's a dynamic performer who who is a box office draw. And I just don't know anybody who, despite this ride being such a big um, crowd favorite and such an important part of the Disney heritage and history that um, I don't know anybody who's like, man, I sure do love that Jungle Cruise movie. Uh, yeah, I just think there's a lot more they could have done with it, probably. I think the way you described a Jungle Cruise movie is exactly how I feel about every Dwayne The Rock Johnson movie. I, 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 he's in a couple Fast and the Furious movies. I don't even know what number they're on at this point. He's uh, the one with Wahlberg. What is that? Pain and Gain? Is that what, was he in that with Wahlberg or Kevin Hart? One of them. He was definitely in the one with Kevin Hart. Um, I Maybe mean, those, Will you, Ferrell was in the one with Mark Wahlberg. I think. Yes, they're, yes, they're very similar yeah. movies. Um, but I'm not a Fast and the Furious guy, so I don't know. I know people love those movies. There's like multiple podcasts just about the Fast and Furious movies, and they're all like billion dollar movies. So like, I think I oh, think no, it, he makes money. I just don't know when the last time I saw a real moving picture, like the Jumanji movie. Like the I, I just really every. Every movie he's in, he's just playing a different version of himself. I think Black Adam, I've I, I heard good things about it. it. The trailers look quite good. That that looks like it might be the one that uh, really breaks the mold. But there's got to be a reason this guy is the highest paid man in Hollywood. Yeah, he's a handsome son of a bitch, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. He never really gives a bad performance. He's just never spectacular either. No, legitimately, his most memorable movie to me is The Tooth Fairy. 
or or um, uh, oh god, my kids would be killing me right now if I, I there's a movie where he plays uh, the game plan where he's the football player. Oh, yeah. I just think that I don't know. I just don't know the last I time I was really was, wowed by Dwayne Johnson. COVID casualty though that and the James Bond movie and the titles escaping me right now. Those are both like they, they would have been giant hits if it wasn't for COVID. And then once they kept getting pushed back and pushed back when they finally did come out. Um, I know the Jungle Cruise kind of had a mixed model where you could, you know, buy it, you know, and watch it at home, too. But people were still afraid to leave their houses. They were kind of sketched out still. It just wasn't it wasn't going to be the hit that it would have been had. it, And it wouldn't have been a better movie, obviously. Um, but I definitely think so it would have made a ton more money if it didn't kind of get hamstrung by COVID. Here's the thing. It's a very easy comparison. The Pirates of the Caribbean, the first and maybe the second one, are far superior movies to the Jungle Cruise in every way. For sure. And just say what you want about Johnny Depp. That guy, a couple flew over the cuckoo's nest with Johnny Depp. He's maybe not a great dude. Maybe he's not as bad as people think he is. We could have psychiatrists on this show (laughs) analyzing Johnny Depp's behavior. But at the end of the day... He is a memorable actor and a performer in the sense of Jack Sparrow is Johnny Depp is Jack Sparrow. And that, yeah, I that couldn't tell you the name of is... any character The Rock has ever played other than he's playing The Rock. And I think that's kind of what I'm getting at with him being Tim. Yeah, he he commands money and The Young Rock is actually an entertaining show that on, on I think, I don't know, ABC, yeah, NBC, whoever it's on. Um a rock podcast. Congratulations, Tim. You've done it. We've made a couple wrestling references here tonight already. Um, I'm going to go with the shows its age, guys. I think there are times, and maybe, again, I, I think it's okay that it shows its age. This is where I'm kind of battling the indifference. Because we all know it's a 50-year-old ride, or in Disneyland's case, 60 years old, 65 years old. We all know that it's that old. And we all still love it anyway. And I don't know how you would improve it because you have, especially in Florida, you have Kilimanjaro Safari, which is really the spiritual successor to what Walt wanted with the original Jungle Cruise. So I think we kind of accept it for its warts. It's not technologically a great ride. The animatronics are not very fluid. Uh, Sometimes they don't always work. Like it just, I, I think... There are certain things in the Jungle Cruise where you're perfectly content with the fact that some of them are broken. Um, I don't know. Am I crazy for this take on the Jungle Cruise here? Because I I feel like it's not always consistently operationally 100%. No, I I think you're spot on. Um, I mean, some of them aren't even like animatronics. There's a lot of statuary or like statuary where one is on like a a turntable and moves slightly. But I mean, the, the way you would quote unquote improve it, I think, is you'd go have to go in the direction of like a Shanghai Pirates, where it's a completely different ride that uses all the super modern ride mm-hmm. systems and improvements in technology that we've seen in the interceding 50 plus years that this ride came out. But at that point, you're still just taking a tour through, you know, varied right. environments with animals. And, and you hit the nail on the head. Not only is Kilimanjaro Safari is the spiritual successor to it, but the Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail 
into yeah. the tiger trail where you yep. literally see African environments and then mm -hmm. Asian rainforest environments, but with real animals, because you could simply recreate this in a high budget wildlife park setting like Animal Kingdom on the same campus that the Jungle Cruise occupies, is it worthwhile for Disney to spend half a billion dollars to make a Shanghai Pirates-style Jungle Cruise when it will never upstage the animal park with real animals next door? So I think playing off the nostalgia, playing off the fact that this is a staple, that this is one of the original rides um, that, that really was so, so, so impressive and so experiential mm. to the park and to the park's rich history. Uh, yeah, I, I think you keep it at, at, as a time capsule to what it was. Um, and it, it it's a nostalgia play and little kids still love it. I mean, a little kid doesn't know right. the difference between, you know, the animatronics being Gen 1 versus Gen 7. And, right. you know, they're, they're, it's just neat and funny and, and exciting. It's something different than they've seen before. I know my kids are big fans. Guy, are your kids fans of the Jungle Cruise? They love it. It's just an entertaining ride. I mean, Sal is excited the whole way through. I mean, Leo's only one, so he's kind mm -hmm. of indifferent to everything. But he loves it. Like, he still laughs. He has a good time. Um, he's more into the skippers, though. I think uh, I think he fell in love the last time he went on. That is a professional tease right there. Guy, what's your second or your fourth? Our fourth of our nine, nine reasons to enjoy the Jungle Cruise. Uh, so this is kind of my, my bad here, and this is just, um, I was kind of back and forth with whether what I wanted to do. Uh, I'm going to go with the Jingle Cruise overlay, um, just for the fact that, A, it's a half-assed version of uh, what Disneyland, and I believe it's Tokyo Disney, does with the Haunted Mansion, with the Nightmare Before Christmas overlay, which, while it's a terrible movie, it is an excellent overlay, and with the Jungle Cruise um, it's just a worse ride. Like, I like the lights and everything. It's cool, whatever. But you take out all the classic bits and you throw in these little holiday jokes. And it's just the skippers aren't as um, how, how do I say this? They, they're just not as comfortable making these other jokes as they are their typical spiel. It just always feels like a half a step off. Uh, so that's why my bad here, although it's not bad, it's still an enjoyable ride, um, is definitely the Jingle Cruise overlay. Interesting. I kind of enjoy the Jingle Cruise overlay. I, I, and again, I think the key here for me, guys, that having been on the Jungle Cruise so many times, getting a little different experience, certainly. I, I, don't, I don't hate it, though. I don't hate the Jingle Cruise. I don't know that it was my favorite overlay. That might belong to Alien Swirling Saucers. Or ass, as we like to call it here. <laughs> that has a great overlay, just the lights and the way that ride is built. But I don't mind the Jingle Cruise guy. Uh, guy does. Tim, are you a Jingle Cruise guy? Oh, right? yeah. No, I, I, traditionally, you know, Rachel and I's trip has always been either the sometime between the last week of November and the first week of January. So we love this one. Um, I like that it's the most, almost the most egalitarian of the holiday overlays because it's the one that's always there even it's not just exclusive to uh, the Christmas party. So like when they do the overlay for Space Mountain, that's exclusive to the Christmas party. During the day, they don't do the light and uh, sound changes for that. This one, on the other hand, though, every park guest, whether it's a day guest, 
whether it's a, a party guest gets to enjoy the Jingle Cruise. Uh, I like that it's kind of just a light touch, but they still do do it at Walt Disney World. They don't make the lame excuse they make for why they can't do the Haunted Mansion about once in a lifetime trips or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's just a light enough touch of holiday spirit uh, that it adds a little something extra. And uh, it, it's always something that I look forward to. Uh, but, yeah, I, I could agree. Sometimes, especially the skippers trying to do the same routine, but force Christmas jokes into it is a little uh, sometimes a little hacky. Uh, that said, I hear if you say that Nightmare Before Christmas is a bad movie three times, uh, Drukula will fly into your house as a bat and bite you on the neck. I thought I was getting away with that dig in there. I thought I snuck that in, but apparently no. not. You got to get up pretty early. It's not nearly as late as our last year recordings have been, guys. So we are yeah. we are much more alive tonight. So what about you? What's what's one of the things? What's what's your number five five thing? What number? I don't know five. Whatever we're on. Um. So I, I guess I'll get this in before I think both of you guys kind of went in an opposite direction to this, but I think it's a good lead in. Um, my number, my this is kind of my bad thing about the Jungle Cruise, um, and it's certainly not always bad, but sometimes the skipper just isn't on. This is, especially now that the great movie ride is gone, this is one of the only, if not the only ride in Disney World that really relies on a cast member to make or break that experience for you. And I will say, I think the vast majority of the time, the cast member makes that experience for you. But sometimes, you know, these are mostly young people in their late teens and early 20s who are getting paid a couple bucks more than minimum wage to be on a boat in the hot sun or the cold or the daily pouring rain that comes down, whether it's hot or cold at Walt Disney World. And uh, they have to basically do improv comedy over and over and over again about the same kind of things um, to the guests. And uh, sometimes they're not feeling it. And you know what? They're totally allowed to. And I would be not feeling it a hell of a lot more than they uh, they aren't. But because kind of going back to Bob's point that the animatronics aren't the best, that the ride does show its age. It really, the whole experience depends on that signature humor and, and kind of really corny jokes, but told in a very, very funny way by your skipper. So if you, you have a skipper who's not really feeling on stage that day, it's really going to affect the quality of your ride. And, and this ride, because it's such a fan favorite, often has a, a very, very long wait compared to other older, slow rides at the park. So sometimes if you're waiting through this um you know, for an hour or more, and then you get a, a, a bad skipper performance. The whole thing can kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth. I think the only other ride there really is the safari, and they have a much different tone and script that they kind of use. Than yeah, the I mean, Cruise. now they've taken the story elements out of that script. It's now very Which much... Which is actually a better... It's a better attraction without the random poaching element. It really is. But Oh, yeah, for sure. Or the person saying that they're from, you know, a random African country and, and all that <laughs> stuff. But, yeah, I mean, they're almost like a Disney nature documentary narrator. Correct. It's much different. Almost all saying the same things, not trying right. to, you know, right. tell, do a stand-up routine. You know, they're type right. five, uh, but more like a 
kind of loose eight as they go through the ride. That's such a great ride. And it can I be such wait. so brutal, too. Um, you know, it's one thing, like, if you see the skipper and they're just kind of taking the day off, I can, like, accept that. I don't have a problem with it. It's like I do that. I mail it in at work th- probably three out of the five days a week. So I, I can understand that. What breaks my heart is when, you know, you have that skipper who who takes that big swing and is going for that home run, and then they miss, and then that flop sweat just starts, you know, going, and then they're like, uh, and it it goes for Niles and Niles and Niles, and they're just, like, trying to get through it, and that's that's brutal. And when they finally get to the part where you're going through the tunnel and they you hear that, like that, just disappointment as they're taking their uh, customary drink of water, just waiting for the next two and a half minutes to get over with. That breaks my heart. hundred percent. Yeah. Cause it's not like when you bomb it at open mic and you be like, well, good night folks. Now you're still on the boat with those people for another four minutes and yeah. have to steer that thing and dock and get them off and still make jokes all the way, even if they aren't feeling it. So I've got a random take and we don't, we're going to just include my next one into this conversation because I feel like the guests you're on the boat with dictate how that skipper does more than we ever acknowledge. I I think if you get grumpy people like Andrew, who, you know, the kids wanted a PB and J and he got an uncrustable and it was soggy and they didn't have the right thing. And his croc sandal and his croc strap broke before he rides the ride. I, I feel like, you have jungle cruise more than any other attraction like this at Disney requires suspension of disbelief because of the quality of the show, maybe being a little campy, we'll say. So it requires suspension of disbelief, maybe more so than any other attraction in the sense of pirates of the Caribbean. There's no one talking for the six minute attraction. Like you guys said, this person might be, a college program student, Tim, who, you know, wants to go into that. And like guys said, if a joke misses and they still have to come hit you with the goes on for Niles and Niles and Niles. And if you don't believe me, then you're in denial. I mean, that joke barely hits when the crowd is loose and lubed up, let alone when there's a grumpy asshole whose sandal broken kid is screaming in the back of the boat. So I think it's very difficult but I like that it's a different experience every time, I think is what I'm trying to say. I like that sometimes it's the skipper, sometimes it's the other guest, sometimes it's you having a bad day and you're just not in the mood to hear the backside of water call. I, I just think the fact that it can be interactively different every time is a really cool thing. And I wish Disney did this more instead of the... Think about what we used to have. We used to have the Backlot Tour, which to an extent, kind of had some open dialogue. Then they went to the automated spiel, and then the backlot tour is not there anymore. We had uh, Living with the Land used to be uh, a personal guide, used to talk to you. Now it's an automated spiel. They don't do that anymore. So you're getting Kilimanjaro Safari and, and Jungle Cruise are the only two attractions that I can think of right now sitting here that even require the least bit of ability from the cast member to run and drive that attraction story. And I think even though some might be having a bad day, 
they should be commended for dealing with the amount of people they deal with on an extremely regular basis because I wouldn't be able to do that job, and I love the Jungle Cruise, and I would go ballistic on that. So, Guy, what do you have next for your uh, your se- seven, seven, number seven here? <laughs> so I, I kind of had what you just went on here, um, so I'm going to kind of change course here to my kind of indifferent, um, and that's going to be, of all the themed restaurants kind of in Disney, uh, for me, and there was some a little back and forth between me and Tim here before the show started, but just my indifferent is uh, going to be on Skipper Canteen, I just feel like it's one of the least popular themed restaurants in all of Disney. Um, You know, in Magic Kingdom, there's not really a ton of good restaurants. Um, There's not even a ton of mediocre restaurants. I know I've never personally eaten at Skipper Canteen, so it's kind of hard for me to even have an opinion on this. Uh, But from what I've heard, everything's kind of very indifferent. Um, It's just nothing spectacular. And I think the thing that's turned me off about going here is that you can always get a reservation. You can get a reservation, you know, 60 days, 50 days, 40 days, 30 days, 20 days, 10 days, five days, day of. It's always there. You can get lunch, dinner, three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock. It is always there. It just eight o'clock rock. Exactly. I should have, you know, I was going to finish the joke there and then I pulled up and I am so thankful that you just, (laughs) you got it out there. I'm like, eh, maybe I'm taking this a little too far. Um, I mean, I've looked at the menu. The menu doesn't look bad. Um, You know, the atmosphere seems okay. It just doesn't seem like a restaurant you need to go to, which is weird because like I've been to Tony's, even though I know like it's going to be god-awful compared to the Italian food we can get here in Rhode Island. It's going to be – it's awful just even for Florida standards. But when something is listed as that bad, I'm like, well, I have to try it. I need to find out. Is it really that bad or are people being dramatic? And when it comes to Skipper Canteen, it just feels like there's really no opinion on it one way or the other. I feel like the only people who go to Skipper Canteen – are just people who couldn't get a reservation anywhere else, and they're like, well, it's this or a quick serve, and I want to just sit down and not have a thousand people around me. Uh, so I guess Skipper Canteen will do. Well, Tim? No, so I'm going to roll right into this because this is my good. Um, and I'm actually happy you're saying this because Skipper Canteen, in my opinion, is the best kept secret in the Magic Kingdom. Uh, it is the newest table service, I think. Yeah, it's definitely newer than Be Our Guest. It's either the newest or the second newest. It's right from that same time that Be Our Guest was built. But I do believe it is the newest table service at the Magic Kingdom. Um, it has a really good menu. I think, honestly, the reason why it has a little bit of a harder time um getting its reservations full is because the food is significantly more adventurous than um, the rest of the Magic Kingdom table services. It's really a lot of fun Asian and South American inspired dishes, but really safe versions of this is not the Epcot version of these things. This is not, you know, this is still Magic Kingdom table service food. Uh, As a vegetarian, I appreciate it. They always have at least two um, vegetarian dishes on the menu, if not three. 
And the two that they always have are um, not meat substitute based as so many of the uh, Magic Kingdom and Disney vegetarian options are. Um, they have some really great cocktails, uh, probably the best appetizer on property in the form of the Brazilian cheese bread with the chimichurri cream cheese dip. Really probably one of the best appetizers on property, if not anywhere. That it, Even if you just get a drink in that, it, it's a must have. But the, the big thing for me there is not only is this restaurant themed to the Jungle Cruise Expedition Company that owns and operates the, the, the titular Jungle Cruise you're talking about, it also is, that's cover for the fact that this is a Society of Explorers and Adventurers themed restaurant. If, if you are a fan of the sea mythology uh, and you can't make the trip out to Tokyo to go to Disney Sea, which is, is a park full of uh, sea mythology, this restaurant is the next best thing. Uh, there are so many hidden details and not hidden details that link this restaurant into that overarching secret fan narrative of the Disney parks about this secret society that runs Adventureland and runs um, the, the the parks in, in the kind of kayfabe of, of, of Disney. And uh, also it's got some really cool references to Walt being a Magic Kingdom restaurant. You know, one of the dining rooms in this restaurant is called the Butterfly Room, and it, it's full of preserved um, frames with preserved butterflies in them, which is something that, you know, you would see in this kind of environment, this 1920s jungle company aesthetic but it also is a reference to, to walt's wife lillian being a prolific butterfly collector and i believe at least one of the frames of butterflies is, is one of the ones from her collection uh and then there's also a, a library just full of sea references all around um that's kind of like a secret room uh that you go through a secret bookcase door to get to uh the servers here keep up the jungle cruise shtick but uh, also kind of read the room and, and back off of it if your tables, you know, if you're just eating with your wife and, and not really looking for for a, a meal length jungle cruise uh, gags and riffs from your server. But, yeah, no, this is this is a must eat at for me and, and kind of for me extends the longevity of this ride and, and, and keeps its uh, place at the park by being such a great table service restaurant. If you haven't eaten there, I would definitely recommend eating there. So, so I will say that remarkably, we didn't discuss many of our top things before we came on tonight. So next time we do a nine reasons why episode, we should probably talk about it because my ninth or third or whatever the hell, this is the ninth one. I love the fact that this Jungle Cruise attraction has quote unquote birthed or and or is intertwined with an extended universe at this point. That is just fun. It, everything, Tim, that you just said. And let's go back to the Adventurers Club at Pleasure Island. Let's go across the street to the Polynesian Bar. Let's go to Tokyo. Let's go across the street to, to Trader Sam's. I mean, wow. it's just, it's, there is so much to love about a ride that is, again, I can't stress enough, as campy as it is, being intertwined with such a really, really cool, quote-unquote, Indiana Jones-style adventure. 
And that's basically what we're at here. And I think for me, that's the biggest thing is that everything we've said about the Jungle Cruise is true. Yes, it is campy. Okay. Yes, it does show its age. Yes, it was controversial. If you listen to our other episode, uh, somebody much smarter than me, Andrew Keist, goes really in-depth on the colonialism explored in this attraction. There are things to not love about the Jungle Cruise, but I think the one thing you can take away is that between Skipper Canteen, Trader Sam's, um, the, the, the Adventurers Club that isn't there anymore, Tokyo Disney, that all of this is just Typhoon intertwined. Lagoon. Yeah, Typhoon Lagoon. All of this tells one large, fun story of the Society of Adventurers and Explorers, or adventure, Explorers and Adventurers. It's just, it's so fun, and it's something that, honestly, we're biased on a Disney podcast. Only Disney could pull off to the way it does. Absolutely. And I think that's what you take away Universal was close to Islands of Adventure with the Lost Continent. That was between Mythos and Poseidon's Fury, and the, that continent was designed by former Disney Imagineers. So excuse me for saying that Disney is the only company that could pull off but this then, type of global storytelling. But then they bulldozed it, and now Correct. any of and those story elements that they had for that are gone. And Correct. and I think I think that your point of difference. This this sea mythology. Of course, there has been announced that there's going to be a Disney Plus show on it, but who knows if that's actually happened. But until that happens, this is really kind of a very insider's thing. It, it, it's really this narrative that is presented for, you know, people like me, people like Guy yep. and Bub, who who yep. really enjoy these parks and enjoy these parks on a deep level. And it gives you something else to geek out about other than just the history, this really cool, almost imagined history of the parks um in a really unique setting yep for sure guy anything else now that we've crushed your dreams on the skipper canteen anything and because i think you and jordana <laughs> do like the jungle cruise though i think you guys do enjoy the jungle cruise and what it's trying to do so oh i love it yeah if the, if the jungle cruise was a wrestler the jungle cruise would be owen hart uh you know maybe not the biggest star in the family but arguably the best you know I'm not even sure that's arguable. We're pretty sure Owen Hart was the best wrestler in the family, but it's another topic for another day. Another topic for another day. That is our show for this week. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up wherever you follow us. We also have an email, the Disney Guys on Censored at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks.